0: And do you ever entertain how it would be, your life would be like if you didn't have a hijab?
1: Um, sometimes I forget, like, that I'm, we- like, it's just such a normal thing to me to just wear a hijab since I've been doing it all my life. So, like, sometimes I, sometimes I forget that I have it on and that people will be, like, looking at me or whatever. Um, but, I mean, like, do you mean my, my life, just my life or like other people's perception of my life or what do you mean by that?
2: Of the world's 7 billion plus people almost 1 in 4 is a Muslim and that proportion is growing. Demographers estimate Islam will overtake Christianity as the world's most popular religion by about 2070. By that time 1 in 3 humans may follow Islam. This is John Bewin it's seen on radio As I said when I introduced this podcast back in episode one, the show will sometimes feature stuff made by me, like the six-part series we just ran, and we're also going to feature work made by people who've taken our audio courses here at the Center for Documentary Studies. I teach Duke University undergrads and grad students and also regular adults in our Continuing Ed program. Those people have made some compelling and surprising audio pieces over the years, and I'm happy that I get to share some of them with you here. In this episode, a pair of shortish pieces, a diptych if you like, a twofer, pieces by Duke undergraduates, both produced in 2015. Muslims are in the headlines again, in ways that are deeply troubling, even threatening, to the vast numbers of rank-and-file, non-jihadist believers, terrorist attacks by islamist extremists on several continents and in response jarring rhetoric from western politicians about tighter monitoring of muslim citizens and about refusing muslim refugees the pieces i'm going to play aren't about any of that although it is easier to fear a group of people when you don't hear much from them in the media and most of what you hear about them is that stuff in the headlines One of the surest ways for a woman to declare herself a Muslim is to wear the headscarf, the hijab. One recent semester for my audio doc class at Duke, we did a partnership with a public school here in Durham. I paired my students with teenagers at the school to make short audio pieces together. Not so randomly, I put together Reem Al-Fahad, then a Duke senior, with a 15-year-old student named Sophia Gallaghan. Both are hijabis, scarf-wearing Muslims. Though, as you'll hear in the piece, there are also big differences in their backgrounds that I was equally interested in. My only guess was that they would do something interesting together. And I think they did, even as they called me out.
1: I don't think we were randomly assigned because we're both wearing scarves on our head. It makes me feel... Like there's a story that they want to hear from me.
0: What sort of story are you talking about?
1: Um, I'm referring to the story of wearing a scarf in America, um, being a Muslim in America.
0: I'm sitting here at the School for Creative Studies in Durham, North Carolina. I'm with 15-year-old 10th grader Sophia Gallahan, and we were randomly assigned to tell a story together. Why do you feel like you're expected to tell this story? I don't know. It was just I
1: saw you, and you were wearing a scarf, and like I guess the story of Islam in America is just like at this moment in time, people want to hear it. People don't really know much about it so it's not a bad thing but it's not like everything about a person
0: and sometimes it feels really reductive right Reductive. so I grew up in a culture where most people are Muslim and so I stood out for other things I did like what I was interested in my hobbies and then I came to United States and suddenly this thing that was so common made me different and I suddenly felt like I had to speak for it all the time.
1: I'm not really surprised by that. But then I'm still like, I don't know if I want to tell this story again. I don't know if I want to tell this story again. I guess it's just such a part of me that I don't think there is much of a story to tell, but I forget that other people don't know.
0: And I think there's an element of constantly justifying yourself, you know, because sometimes when people ask for a story from me, or I don't know if you feel the same way, but it almost feels like they're trying to make sense of me in certain spaces.
1: Recently, actually, I've encountered that, where I'm, like, approached by somebody and they're like, but, oh, but you're, like, a liberal Muslim.
0: And it's like, wait, what? Am I? I thought I was just a Muslim. And I guess it brings up this idea of stories you're expected to tell. You know, just by choosing to express a part of your faith in a way that is very public. So, the hijab, for example, puts all your cards on the table. And you, especially as a white American, if you didn't wear a hijab, Mm -hmm. no one would know you're Muslim. You know, like for me, like I, I still am pretty tan. Like, I, you know, you can tell I'm not really totally from here. Like, I'd get the where are you from question. I I mean, I still get the where are you from question. Is it because of your hijab? I I guess so, because
1: people will be like, well, where are you from? And I'm like, I'm from America. And then they're like, where are your parents from? Like, they're from America. (laughs) Where are your descendants from? I don't know.
0: And there's nothing that says explain yourself more than the dreaded where are you from question.
2: Hi guys, are you here for the last
0: minute line? Sophia and I recently made our way to a film festival in North Carolina. It didn't take more than a couple of minutes for someone to ask us this question.
1: We're here in Durham, North Carolina at the 18th annual uh, full-frame documentary film festival. This
0: is my friend Sophia. She's doing the project with me.
2: What's your origin, your country?
1: I'm from Kuwait.
0: There's nothing wrong with this question. It's only a problem when the same people get asked it all the time because they look different. Where are you from sends the message that you're clearly not from here.
1: We're waiting outside of the Fletcher Theater for a film we're going to see. So you want to be a filmmaker, right? My current life goal, I guess, is to be a filmmaker. I'm interested in hearing different types of stories, and there's so many films at play here, it's it's hard to know which ones will be good. But watching documentaries is it's really special because it's a real
0: story, it's not fake. I asked if any of her projects have been about the hijab.
1: My ninth grade project was about my scarf and trying to destroy some misconceptions, but then I was like, okay, I'm done telling the story. Hope you guys learned something.
0: I think the reason people have such a hard time understanding it is because it's blatantly challenging male entitlement. Men feel entitled to women's bodies. And then when a woman chooses to wear a hijab, she's physically isolating those parts of herself from the male gaze. So like the male no longer has that right to her body. And then it's not like no men see your hair. Like the men that you choose, the ones in your family, you're eventually your husband. Like they will be able to see it. That kind of gives the power all back to the woman. But people never see it that way. It, they, they
1: don't. And then they go on to talk about how it's terrible and like actually oppressive and people need to be liberated. If I'm at a party or something and I'm wearing a scarf, it is a fact that I'm not going to attract as much attention to myself because that has been my experience and it's not just who I am because I have friends who are with me that will be touched by some guy and it's like why is that permissible? Feminists will argue against that kind of attention, it's like a thing we don't want to be sexually harassed. We don't want to be objectified. And then there'll be those who look at the scarf and say, oh, but that is oppression. That is not solving anything.
0: In reality, it turns out we are more than our expected stories. And it took being paired together for us to show that. Do you feel like that's what this has been? A scarf story? Not exactly.
1: I think it's a... slightly different story. I don't know.
2: That piece was by Reem Al-Fahad with Sophia Gallahan. Next one that's maybe even more personal, or personal in a different way, a look at the nuances of deciding whether to wear the hijab. 18-year-old Palestinian-American Malak Harb talks about the complicated feelings that she and her younger sister have had about that question. This piece was produced by Duke freshman Sofia Volobuyeva. I'm 18. And
3: I'm Palestinian. I started wearing the hijab when I was 13 or 14. It was my freshman year of high school. I've had like my group of friends, they all started wearing the hijab, you know, when they were young. But they were all, in a way, forced to wear it. You know, their parents were like, you've hit puberty, it's time for you to wear it. My parents were never like that. I mean, my mom wore it in her mid 20s. You know, that was never something important to them. It was the summer before high school, and I was like, okay, if I don't like it, I don't have to wear it. That day, I probably had four or five compliments from strangers. Oh, I really like your scarf, or like, where are you from? My dad teared up, and he was like, you know, I've been waiting for this day for a long time. I'm glad that you decided to do it. Your first year is always weird because you don't know what fits your face. You don't know how to match colors. Second year, I was used to. I had my own routine. I knew what I was doing. And then around the third year, I started having doubts. I started learning more. I was having dreams of me taking it off. And in my dreams, like, I would be crying because I was scared of what people would say. I mean, as a community, Whenever somebody takes it off, there's always so much talk and it's horrible. People told me, you know, these are whispers from the devil. This might be just a phase. I kept it on and for a while I was unhappy with it. I would get angry at myself, like nobody told me to do this. Why did I do it? Why did I not wait until I started college? Why did I not wait until I was older? It was hard because I never told anyone. I was kind of embarrassed. I actually told people that used to wear it and took it off. Maybe we're going through the same thing. You know I stopped having those thoughts and I love it and I can't imagine my life without it. I'm happy that I didn't take it off when I was doubtful. Everyone says this but it really is part of me. I have a younger sister. She's a year younger than me. So when it was time for her to go to high school, she decided, I'm gonna put on the hijab too. You know, I saw my sister do it. I should follow in her footsteps. She looked great in it, you know, everyone was happy for her. I thought she was happy. I remember the day she put it on, like we took her out for lunch. You know, we went out, we went downtown, watched fireworks, it was a nice day. We always thought she loved it. And my sister is very quiet. She doesn't talk about her feelings. You know, everyone's always asking you questions when you put it on like, oh, do you like it? Are you happy with it? She always responded, yeah, she liked it. We all thought she did like it. One day, I was going through some papers and I found an essay that she wrote about the hijab and she wrote about how much she hated it. And she talked about how she would cry all the time because she thought she looked so horrible. I felt so guilty, because I felt like it was my fault that she wasn't happy for so long. I started talking to her like, if you're not happy with it, just take it off. No one's going to talk about you. Like, don't worry about anyone. You're important. I always feel so shitty. A lot of girls put it on because they feel like they have to. Technically, you have to in the religion but if that's not something you want and you're not happy with it, it's unfair. When they go to someone for help and they go to someone to talk to, they're like bashed. A lot of hijabis start at a young age, like ages 10 to 15. It's a weird age, you know, that's where you're growing and you're maturing and and to have like people that you look up to and people that you trust bash you, it sucks. So whenever I hear about people that aren't happy with it, I try to talk to them and I try to help as much as I can because I've been through it, my sister has been through it. I feel like all hijabis go through this thing where they doubt themselves. I mean, every single one that I've met has. We need to be more supportive of what they want because this is their life. And I'd rather have my friend or my sister in Islam be happy without it than to be miserable with it. Even if it's part of our religion, it's not worth living your life unhappy.
2: That's Malak Harb. Sofia Volobuyeva produced the piece for my imaginatively named class here at Duke, Introduction to Audio Documentary. Next time on scene on radio.
0: He he sees you when he's asleep when you're asleep he sees you when you're awake. Like you guys do.
2: Mm-hmm. Listening in on a young kid as he thinks out loud about some very uncomfortable questions at Christmas time.
0: There is no like flying real rain flying reindeer. You think? That's just a fib. Yeah, and also the fire. The fire, if he slid down the chimney and then his big booty would get burnt.
2: (laughs) You can hear all our episodes and subscribe to the podcast at seenonradio.org. Like our Facebook page, tweet at me at seenonradio. Thank you, thank you to those of you who gave us ratings and reviews on iTunes. I don't understand these things, but I'm told those are the very lifeblood of a podcast that's trying to find its audience. People are finding us, I'm happy to say, but you know, more is better in this case. Seen on Radio comes to you from the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke University.